Hello and welcome to episode 057 of The Wheelhouse with Jerry Depoto. I am Colin O'Keefe filling in for Aaron Goldsmith who gets some much deserved downtime. We are of course back on Root Sports. If you're watching us here, be sure to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get the full audio version of our show each and every time we record. Uh, Jerry, thanks for joining us as always. Uh, you know the trade deadline, that's in the rear view. The draft, that's in the rear view. Nothing you can do with your team as far as transactions go right now. You get a little bit of downtime now? I'm trying to recover from that intro, which was <laughs> spot on. I, I feel like Aaron should watch it and learn. Uh, we'll pass along the tape. Maybe he can give me some tips on hair. We'll be good from there. <laughs> yeah, they, this is uh, maybe the most unique month that I can remember as a general manager because we don't really have the ability to make uh, to make moves outside of just managing the, the players that are in our system. But I do believe over the next 30 days or so, as we get into the first week of September, we're going to see or learn some nuance in working in this system that we're not quite aware of yet. Whether that is that the league is more active in upper levels minor league trades, I do think that's going to happen as teams try to build depth with off the 40 man players. So, you know, I, I do think something is going to keep us busy over these next couple of weeks. And in addition to trying to figure out what we're doing, the final final on September call ups and, and our postseason roster protections and what we're doing for the Arizona Fall League, there's always something to keep you busy. Jerry, we are recording here on Monday morning coming off a, a tough series in Houston as it seems they all are facing that strong Astros club. And the question a lot of fans have is, how do we get to that level? You know, not just the Astros in particular, but how do we become a team like that, a division contender year in and year out? Well, that is the purpose of what we're doing. Our, our 2019-20 uh, development plan is to try to close the ground on the Astros. They're the best team in our league, not just the best team in our division. And the way they're constructed right now, they might be one of the best teams of all time. They don't seem to have a clear weakness. And we understood this coming into the 2019 season, which in large part is why we restructure our roster the way we did. It was with an eye toward 2021, believing that we could close ground by then. But in the short term, I, they're, they are considerably more talented than the next best team in the American League. And they are really better than, than we are right now. And uh, I, our, our guys are playing hard. We're doing the best we can in, in those matchups. But we, right now, we're just undermanned against the, the Astros team. There's no question. And really, you know, maybe with the exception of the Dodgers, maybe not, they're a team that as well as anyone has built through young talent, not just young talent that you see on the major league field, but, you know, the fact of the matter is, you know, without getting too much into specifics, even Garrett Cole, Justin Verlander, they came from the farm effectively. And, you know, how important is it in today's game to build as the Mariners are now through young players? Well, I mean, young players make the world go in baseball. It's a, and, and for the Astros, at one point, that was Jose Altuve. It's Carlos Correa. It's George Springer. Guys that came through their system and turned into stars. And, you know, right now it certainly looks like Jordan Alvarez, who is uh, – he's legit. I mean, the bat is huge. You know, we are – we believe we're making progress in that area. It's been an awesome year developmentally for our prospects in the, in the minor league chain. I think we'll start seeing some of the fruits of that labor in a couple of weeks here as we get closer to September of 19 and really start seeing a, a wave coming in, in 2020. And, and that's how we think we're going to close the gap is by building through our young players. And Jordan, for example, acquired via trade. Let's talk about another play, player that was acquired via trade, specifically a play. 
it's been a little while, but we haven't gotten the chance to ask you about J.P. Crawford's play, his throw against the Detroit Tigers. That in the press box, I was sitting there in just absolute disbelief that that had just transpired in front of me. What was it like in, in the GM's box when that type of play goes down? Uh, you know, usually you get the walk-off homer and, and everybody will cheer. Usually it, if if you hit a big homer, you hit a ball in the gap to score two runs, you'll get an occasional fist pump or a yeah. But mostly we just watch and, and, and you know, generally enjoy the game. On that one, everybody threw their hands up in the air. It's one of the best plays I think I've ever seen. And I immediately I got a text from a friend of mine who scouts for another American League team who happened to be here. He said, that might be the best play I've ever seen a shortstop make. Uh, it wasn't really the range that he showed or the quickness. It was the, the quality and accuracy of the throw that he made from the position he made it that, that was so special. And I guess moreover, just JP in general, the, the, since early May when he came to the big leagues, or I could date back to early April when he started in Tacoma, he has been such a, a nice development for us organizationally and, and for him personally to, to have kind of crossed that, that hump after a couple of tries in the big leagues at just 24 years old. I think his future looks extremely bright, and I'm really glad it's going to be as a Mariner. Yeah, I mean, it was almost emblematic of kind of JP Crawford, the player, where it was. All right, he didn't have to range too far, but had good range. Didn't have to react too quickly, but had good reaction. Had the strong throw, quick hands, and it was one of those things where if you're pretty good at all of those tools, it'll add up to be a pretty special play. And for J.P. Crawford, hopefully a pretty special player as well. Uh, let's talk a little trade deadline. Uh, for the Mariners, it was relatively active, made a couple of moves. Before we dive into the specifics of the players that were moved, were there any overarching philosophies that your group had in looking to improve the team at the trade deadline? Well, I, I guess as you just assessed it as a relatively active, we, we are, the, the bar we set for activity <laughs> is pretty high. So, you know, the fact that we made a number of moves, I think we made three trades on deadline day. We made a number of trades, you know, dating back to the Edwin Encarnacion deal, the Jay Bruce deal. Uh, it, as the season has gone along. So uh, overarching theme has been to try to take the, the veteran players on our roster and turn as many guys as we didn't see being part of our long term into uh, assets that, that have the opportunity to be here when this roster starts to come together. And where this one was a bit of a challenge is that we actually do think that that Ruanis Elias and Hunter Strickland, uh, because they are generally still young players by the standards of, of bullpen, that they both have really big arms and that they've been, you know, we didn't see a lot of Hunter Strickland, but we signed him for a reason. Mm -hmm. And we did see a lot of Ruanis Elias, and he's been good for us for the last two years. So we didn't necessarily look to move those guys, but as the, the trade deadline started to progress, it became clear that we were going to be able to get what we thought was a pretty good return for both, you know, and, and then just cross our fingers that we're able to replace them or replace them with themselves somewhere <laughs> along down the line. And let's into the specific. Let's talk about the first deal first. Ronas Elias and Hunter Strickland head to the Nationals in exchange for Aaron Fletcher, Taylor Gilbo, and Elvis Elvarado. What can you tell us about those three players? Well, you know, Taylor Gilbo, we've had the opportunity now, with the exception of Elvis, both of the other pitchers have already made their Mariners debut, and Gilbo has turned twice. So, you know, Gilbo has been up to 97 in his, in his two outings with, with the Mariners, uh, struck out, I think, three in his two innings of work down with Tacoma. 
Hey, we think he is as close to the big leagues ready as a left-handed reliever, certainly that we have in our system, but that we had scouted along the way. Uh, throws from a lower slot, really tough angle to pick up uh, for both lefties and righties. Uh, hides the ball particularly well. Has a really good slider and does have a three-pitch mix and, and is not necessarily geared toward just being a matchup lefty. He gets both sides out. And when you can throw in the mid to upper 90s with the three-pitch mix, it's at, at, from a lower angle, that's interesting. And, you know, it's a guy who, to this point, has not been on a 40-man roster, which is probably going to change here very soon. And, you know, we have we have something to start building with in, our, uh, in joining some of the other big arms that we're trying to progress to our bullpen. And Aaron Fletcher... We have a guy who's 23 years old, is having a phenomenal season between the A and AA levels. He was recently promoted to AA, uh, pitched for us the other night in Arkansas, and very impressive debut. I think struck out the side uh, in his one inning of work, topped out at 93, pitched at 92. We think he has an above-average slider, and he's a pretty athletic guy who was groomed as a starter in college baseball at the University of Houston. Uh, underwent Tommy John surgery in college and now is back on track and we think progressing quickly toward well first of all already you know encroaching the upper levels of the minor league system but making his way toward the big leagues and Elvis Alvarado is just fun you know it's it's fun it's a guy I think who's grown three or four inches in height since the day he signed He's now tipping it, I think, 6'5 or, or, or higher. He was a, a former outfielder who was converted to a pitcher a little over a year ago. Uh, he tops out at about 100 miles an hour with his fastball. His average velocity is about 96. And it is the strikes are still a work in progress. The breaking ball and quality of the secondary pitches also still works in progress. But he's still just 20 years old. He's playing in rookie ball, and we feel like there's a bright future for Elvis uh, if it all comes together. And if not, it was definitely worthwhile taking a shot on, on just raw material like he brings to the table. Absolutely. I was taking a look, a peek inside uh, the Fangraphs prospect chat with, I think, Eric Longenhans, and somebody asked him, who was the most intriguing prospect moved at the deadline? And he said Elvis Alvarado. So, I mean, to that point, seems like a guy, I mean, we've got a lot of polished pitching prospects at the upper minors where it starts to be similar to, I mean, th- this is different than Juan 10, but, you know, you start to take a chance on some lottery tickets. And that, that's essentially what we're doing here. We, we feel like Gilbo will, will pitch in the big leagues sooner than later and, and really contribute to what we're trying to do over these next couple of years. Aaron Fletcher in a similar situation at 23 years old, already at AA. And, you know, with Elvis, we don't know. It, it's, uh, the, the world is his oyster, so to speak. And uh, it wouldn't surprise me if he makes a three-level jump in one year somewhere along the line. It's not right now. He still has a lot of work to do. Most of it's going to be down in Peoria in the Arizona Summer League. And we'll send him to our off-season camps down in Peoria and, and see where it takes him. Get to know the kid a little bit. But there just aren't that many, regardless or I guess despite what we see in the big leagues on a given night, there aren't that many guys in the world that throw 100 miles an hour. And, and, you know, tap into one of them and and see what we can do would be fantastic. Definitely. Uh, Second trade we had going down at the deadline was Mike Leake for Jose Caballero. 
Uh, what can you tell us about Jose? You know, Jose's 22 years old, pretty good athlete, uh, but primarily a shortstop, plays all of the infield positions, uh, second and third as well. He is a, he's a really polished player. He, he too has now made his Mariners debut. He's played the last couple of days down in the Arizona Summer League. Uh, it, it, and I think two games had five hits. He's, he's doing the things that, that a polished 22-year-old player should do. He's hit at all the levels, a former seventh-round pick by the Diamondbacks who has kind of checked all the boxes. He, he does everything well without having a significant carrying tool. You know, it's, it's average arm strength. He's a good defender who can play all the spots. He really controls the strike zone well. He can swing the bat. He uses the field pole to pole. He gives you a good at bat no matter where you put him. Our staffs, both scouting and player development, because we see these, these teams all the time, especially in the Cal League, Modesto plays the Visalia affiliate constantly. I mean, it's, it seems it's like that's our whole schedule. Teams. <laughs> so, uh, you know, in the, in the grand scheme of things, we had a great opportunity over the previous two years to see a lot of Jose Caballero and really started, coveted the player for what he brings. We think he's going to play in the big leagues, uh, very likely as more of a super U player who can move around. He runs well, and if he had a, a single uh, – tool it's what we would call field to play he has great baseball acumen he can run the bases he does all the the things you want to see good baseball players do and he too is off the 40-man roster so it gives us the chance to grow forward with a player who will be part of the Mariners for quite some time and I know that deal came down relatively close to the last minute in the last 30 20 minutes exactly exactly I keep saying that and you had some familiarity with Jose I mean, you guys had probably talked with the Diamondbacks previously. Let's say, though, that the Minnesota Twins reach out. They want Mike Leak. They've decided 30 minutes to the deadline. Jerry, I know we haven't talked to you. We've called some other teams. These guys are out of our price range, but we want Mike Leak. Where do you even start? Like, Do you have a complete knowledge of basically every team system and you know that this player connects with Mike Leak? You know, that's about same value. How would you move in a situation like that? Because it seems like in this one, you guys are pretty well prepared. But I imagine those situations come up where you have to go, uh, I think we want this player for Mike Leak. How, how prepared are, is your group for a situation like that? I would say very. Uh, and it's partly the way we're set up, the way we're built. And, you know, for a number of years, I worked as a director of professional scouting. And, you know, we had in, in that job as an individual director of professional scouting, you were responsible for let's call it somewhere in the neighborhood of seven to 9,000 players that you were effectively trying to manage between all of the minor and major league players, all of the independent league players, all of the, the professional players in, in the Korean league, in the Japanese league, in, in Taiwan. They're around the globe, so many players that you were constantly trying to track that it's not a one-man job. And what we've done with our setup is, is we created a role called player personnel managers, and we have three of them. So each of our player personnel managers, Emmanuel Sefuentes, who was formerly our advanced scout uh, here with the Big League Club, Brennan Damaraki, who came over to us from the Diamondbacks about three years back, and Jason Karajinas, who joined us from the Tampa Rays three years ago when we created these roles. 
each of those three manages 10 teams. So you're not asking someone to be uh, all-knowing uh, for 30 teams, but what you are is, is each of them has, and we do it regionally, has a, a setup where the teams in the West, the teams in the Central, or the teams in the East are under their jurisdiction. So when these conversations start or when we receive that first call, the first thing we do is shoot out a, a message, whether it be a phone message, an email, quickly to one of those three player managers. And each of our scouts in those areas are constantly in contact with with one of those three guys and they are managing a, an ongoing and I guess living list of the prospects in each of those organizations and we have them tiered out as such that we know when that phone call comes in and it is for say a Mike Leak, we know the pocket on their list that makes the most sense based on the other conversations that we are having. So we're able to make a pretty quick adjustment and audible to the point where I think within a half an hour, we would know the the names and the, the, the people that we would ask for. Now, whether that team says yes or no yeah. is, but the preparation is, is pretty clear. Yeah, so you're not like, I don't, yeah, you're, you come into the situation with a, you know, an estimation on the value of the players. Um, By the way, I would be very happy if the Twins would call because the middle of their system is awesome. <laughs> it's but, quite good. Yeah. Let's get into some prospects then, talk about some of our own guys that we have right now. I want to touch on two players who are performing extremely well, two pitchers for the Travs. You got a chance probably to see them both recently. They're guys that fans probably are thinking, are we going to see them in Seattle anytime soon? You don't have to answer that. But let's talk about Justice Seffield and Justin Dunn. Starting with Justice, ever since he got to the Travs, he's been – a different guy. I mean, he has way more strikeouts than walks, four and two, sub two ERA. What have you guys seen in your group from Justice since he's gone to to Little, to Little Rock and joined the Travs? I, I think we saw Justice Sheffield, and I, I've gone through this. Justice is just 23 years old. He's actually one of the younger pitchers in the Texas League, and we moved him backward to to get him back online. He had a very rough start to the season in Tacoma. There's no doubt. Most of it was command related. And I think most of that was being driven by his desire to show us that he was worth making the trade for. Uh, there's He had an unbelievably good spring training. I don't think he allowed a run. I don't know how he could have been better. And due to the fact that we had a five-man rotation, which in, at the time included Felix Hernandez, we sent Justice to, to AAA and told him at that time, when we cut our innings back on, on Yusei Kikuchi, he would be the guy we would go to. And, and immediately, I think Justice just started moving too fast. And, you know, it took us a while to get him back online. And ultimately, we thought the best thing to do for him was to send him to, to Arkansas and allow him to work with Pete Woodworth, who's excellent and, and has done a great job with Justice, uh, with Brian DeLunis, who, who really has done a great job in looking at the delivery, how we can solve some of these things, and in spending time with a group of players who were all age relative to him and, and socially uh, in, in a great place. The Arkansas environment is as good a That's team a environment group. as I've ever been around. So, and, and at the time, Mitch Canham, now Caesar Nicholas. Uh, since we sent him back, Justice has done all the things we thought Justice was capable of doing. It's a three-pitch power mix. He's been to the upper 90s. He sits 93, 94. He's got really good angle to his breaking ball. He's done a great job of really refining his changeup. And, and we do believe, and I think he's, he is a great example of this, that we're, our pitching programs are, are strong, and we can progress him directly from Arkansas to the big leagues if, if we want to. And that's likely to happen in this case. Yeah, and I mean, even just – 
maybe I'm reading a little bit too much into scouting tape, but he's back to pitching with the confidence that we saw at spring training where he finishes with polish on his pitches and he struts off the mound and instances when it calls for it. And he just looks like a guy that is, like you said, back to being Justice Sheffield. Uh, Justin Dunn, for the most part, on the other hand, he's been Justin Dunn all year long. He's been this basically the same guy, you know, from the moment camp broke to now what we see. I mean, maybe a rough patch, patch here or there, but for the most part, model of consistency. He really has been. And I, we think that just, Justin is very likely to end up the, the Texas League Pitcher of the Year. Uh, don't know who deserves it more. He has been a model of consistency. Everybody's going to have an occasional clunker, and Justin's guilty of that, And as was I. <laughs> We're all going to have a, you know, a subpar start. But he hadn't really had the wear egg on your face start. Everything he does, he manages. He gives the team a chance to win every game he starts. At last look, he's leading the Texas League in strikeouts. He's he's near the top of the pack in earn run average. He's doing all the right things. Uh, I think his strikeout percentage, his strikeout to walk percentage, and the like are all league leading figures. And you know he has made a very strong case to to join the major league club when the rosters expand. They still have some season left. You know the the, the Travs have a chance to go compete for the Texas League championship. And we want to see that happen. But there's virtually no chance that between those two guys and Logan Gilbert uh, as, as the top three in a rotation. That also includes Ricardo Sanchez, who's been really good since the day we put him there. And LJ Newsom, who's been very solid since we promoted him. It's a, it's a fun five starters. There's almost no chance that all five of them will be there for that playoff series when it starts uh, in early September. You know, somebody is going to be here, but we're going to leave them, you know, the, the, the guns to go out and try to win a championship. And then we'll likely see more than one of those guys join us here in Seattle. I've talked to Andy McKay, director of player development, about this a little bit, but I'd like to get your take as well. Why is it important for players to stick together and compete for a championship, uh, you know, obviously it's something that this front office va- uh, strongly values. But you know, why is that the case? Why is it important for a group to stick together like that? I think it's belief in one another. It's uh, it's understanding how your teammates play. You know, baseball is it's a team game played by twenty five individuals in a lot of ways. And you know, as as it works for us, we believe in the cohesion of a team moving through together. And this group, particularly the group in Arkansas, they are it's such a tight knit group. They do so well together. Everybody who enters that environment is better for it. That we want to see continue forward, whether it's in their stop in Tacoma, whether it's in their stop in the big leagues. They've got high character. They work hard. We want to see them go win that way. And when you, when I was in the minor leagues, uh, and this is a lot of years ago, but when I was in the minor leagues coming through with the Indians, I played four minor league seasons. Four times we were division champions. Four times we wound up playing for, for league titles. Three times we wound up winning championships. And the core of that group wound up becoming the core of the group that in Cleveland dominated the American League Central in the 90s. And if, if you teach young players the value of winning, playing together, relying on one another, and really just generate a love for each other where they care more about the guy next to them than they do about themselves, now when they go out and play this team game that, that is driven by individuals – they're not really driven by individual achievement. They're driven by the team goal. And that's happening right now in Arkansas. And hopefully over the next two years, that's the theme here in Seattle. Yeah, it's one of those things that's not just 
happenstance that those things, you know, take place. I, I know the thing that Andy always says is, you know, you got to learn to hit a baseball, you got to learn to throw a slider, you got to learn to win together. And I remember talking to, this is even beyond uh, your time in the Cleveland system, I remember talking to Alvin Davis and Marco Langston, and those are guys that came all the way up through the Mariner system together to the point that I think when Mark Langston went to his first All-Star game, Alvin Davis went and sat with his parents and watched it. So it's one of those things that's so special when guys come up through the system together and hopefully, you know, as people pointed out with this Travs team, this is one of the best, you know, minor league teams that we've seen ever in the Mariners system. So it's exciting to watch for sure. Uh, you mentioned Justin Dunn, another player in that deal, Jared Kelnick kind of finding his feet again. Seems like he's getting back on track. He's on a little bit of a hot stretch. You know, any thoughts on, on Jared as he kind of rounds into the, the final straightaway of the minor league season? Well, he really couldn't have been more impressive on the year as a 19 year old. You know, we, we set him up aggressively in, uh, in West Virginia. He was so good over the first six weeks of the season that we promoted him extraordinarily quickly. Uh, the, the move to send him to Modesto at 19 was very quick, and he showed us that it was the right thing to do. Because what we're trying to do in player development, especially with players as gifted as Jared Kelenic, is you're trying to challenge them without running them into failure. And, and forcing them to kind of get over that wall, whatever you perceive that wall to be. You know, and in, in Jared's case, I'm not sure what the, the South Atlantic League was going to be able to do to help him develop. So moving him to the California League as one of the youngest players in that league uh, to go out and right now he's hovering around an 800 OPS. He, he did go through what I think is maybe his first career slump. Uh, and, and he's coming out. You know, right now we're seeing it. The last four or five games, he's really starting to get back on track. He's been hitting the ball hard throughout. And I think some of that slump was really when, when you move Cal Raleigh, who hit behind Jared, when you move Cal Raleigh to, to double A, you're exposing Jared a little bit. And I think we've seen guys, particularly Jake Shiner, rise up and become that guy. And, you know, while now Jake is on a bit of a hot streak, we're starting to see Jared start to pick it up a little bit. And similarly, you want to challenge these players without putting them in position to just flop, to fall on their face. And, you know, we really didn't think that was a possibility because of just how good a player Jared is. And so far, so good. He's, he's done all the things we, we wanted to see him do. Modesto has a chance to wind up in the, in the postseason here, largely because Visalia has been so good uh, both ends of the season that if they win both ends, I think Modesto has a chance to, to get into the postseason as the second best record in the league. And, and, uh, and if we get an opportunity for that young group with Joe Rizzo, with Jake Shiner, with Jared Kalanick, if we get them into the postseason, Keegan McGovern, get them into the postseason and, and give them a chance to, to go into a winning environment, that's fun. And Jared is an intense guy. Some so kind like, of intense, I, yeah. I, it would be really fun to see him competing for a championship. Well, you know, out here, of course, as well, but even just right and early uh, doing it there for Modesto. All right, we've got a stump JD. I popped into your office the other day, and you're like, that's maybe something trade deadline, something along there. That's where my head's at, so that's where we're going to go. Uh, I hope I have the, time, the timing right. And similar to the last time I hosted this, we're going from your personal past a little bit as opposed Ooh, to baseball history okay. past. And results in some they, fun they stories. They tend to run hand in hand. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can you walk me through your first ever trade deadline trade as a GM? Oh, yeah. If I have the time right, 2010, Diamondbacks. All right, now this is going to be too easy. But It was a big see, one. Yeah. Let's see. First one actually on July 31st. 
Oh, you, oh, 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 oh. I know okay. your first one. First one was July 25th. Yeah, which was a big deal. It's uh, And I had been a general manager I, literally for three weeks. I, I was named a, an interim general manager on July 2nd. And 23 days later, we traded Dan Heron to, to the Angels in a deal that brought us Patrick Corbin and Tyler Skaggs and Joe Saunders and, and a fourth player by the name of, of uh, Rodriguez, um, um, Francisco Rodriguez, Fernando Rodriguez. Rafael uh, Rodriguez. But, uh, you know, he played just a day or so in the big leagues for us. The others, obviously, Corbin became a multi-time all-star. Uh, Tyler, who I loved, was a, a guy I traded for twice and and still think there was so much more left in, in his future, unfortunately. And Joe Saunders gave us the stability of a 200-inning starter with uh, that got us over a hump. And that very next year, we were a 94-win team, and we rebounded quickly. To, uh, and it was largely based on what the pitching was doing, which was fun. Uh, the When we got down to trade deadline day, I remember our front office, myself uh, at the time, Peter Woodfork, uh, who now works at MLB, Shiraz Raymond, who uh, now is the assistant general manager for the Texas Rangers, formerly of the Cubs. Uh, we, we shifted our, our setup to New York, where we were there playing the Mets. And we were working. We actually, I remember the last deal we did was uh was chad qualls yep to the the tampa rays and the reason why i remember it it was the of all the deals we made and it was they were considerable you know we traded dan heron we traded chris snyder edwin jackson uh there were a number of deals that started swarming maybe that's what created this this insane pace for transactions but in the in the chad qualls deal it was the first where we actually had to eat a little bit of, of payroll. And, you know, I, I remember the, the bloggers around the Diamondbacks at the time uh, re- keeping track of how many of these deals we were able to make without eating a single dollar at a time when that was a little hard yeah. to do. And, and, uh, and ultimately we had to absorb a little bit on Chad Qualls and we got a right-hand pitcher back from Tampa. I will tell you this, the, the player that we were targeting in that deal was Sean O'Malley, oh. of former Mariner fame. And, uh, you know, now, and Sean's a great guy. He was, he was the player that we were targeting. Ultimately had to shift off. We got a right-hand pitcher who was a twin brother. Uh, his brother played in the Cardinal system. And I'm trying to remember his name. Evan, no. Matt Gorgon. Matt, yeah, Matt Gorgon, <laughs> who had a twin brother who pitched in the Cardinals organization. And Matt Gorgon threw in the mid to occasionally upper 90s at a time when that was a little harder to find. And it was it was today's modern pitcher. It was He was a 5'9", 5'10", righty who threw straight uphill with high ride on a fastball and a biting split finger. Unfortunately, he was injured almost immediately after we we got him into the Diamondback system. Didn't do a whole lot. Never did pitch in the big leagues. But it was uh, that was the last of the trades that we made. And it was made after midnight when midnight was the (laughs) deadline. Oh, that's right. So – our major league team had already finished up the series and gone the other way. They head back, and our front <laughs> office is still sitting in the in the suite. And it was then the Andrew Friedman led Tampa Tampa Rays, oh. and we were after midnight, and we've got the guys from from the LRD who have to input all these trades and we've got them on one line we've got our doctor on the other who's going through the medical and we've got the rays on the third line to determine whether they are okay with chad qualls medical so all of this is going down and it leaked over midnight and the league gives you a little bit of a buffer there and we were able to get it done 
it's crazy. Baseball is a small world. You mentioned the Sean O'Malley thing. I scroll even just on this the this transaction page. Literally, the next transaction after the deadline, August twenty first, signed Mike Hampton as a free agent, who is eventually go. bullpen coach here. So it's it's funny how small the baseball world can be at times. All right, we've got a couple listener questions for you. As always, send your questions to the wheelhouse at mariners dot com. Uh, I love when people interact with the podcast in real life as you experience probably much more than me so we've got a question from milo that came in via email he says i was the guy that yelled jerry and stopped you and your wife to say nice to meet you on saturday morning in cooperstown the day before the induction wanted to tell you guys how much i enjoy the wheelhouse but got caught a bit in the moment glad to see you roaming the streets of baseball's alma mater so my question is do you have a best place ever for a cubano sandwich Best place ever for a Cubano sandwich, and I'm going to butcher, I don't remember the name of it, but it's just outside of Orlando, Florida. Uh, and our when I was with the Diamondbacks, a legendary area scout, Luke Wren, who ran and still runs that area for the Diamondbacks, formerly of the Mariners, uh, drafted players like Jason Veritek, Mike Hampton, has a long history of, of finding the right guys. Between the Mariners, Braves, and, and Diamondbacks, I think he had like 20 first-round picks, or and and numerous guys that went on to be major league all-stars. But Luke took me to a, a small little hole in the wall just outside of Orlando for a Cubano sandwich, and I, I don't remember the name of it. It was it was kind of like a a, a Gulf Stream that was redone into a, <laughs> like a single wide and and became a, a, a and they had one thing on the menu. Cubano sandwiches, and I don't remember the name of it, but I could find it again because it was that good that every time I went to to visit Luke and go around and see the players, we would go back to that same spot and have a Cubano. Let me ask this. I know we've talked about this previously off the air. Is that where you took Guillermo Heredia when you met up with him the first time? No, that was in Miami. Okay, and, okay. And we went to we went to a great Cuban restaurant that was that was Guillermo's choice, and which was a super impressive meeting. I, I you know Guillermo's a terrific, such a good man. dude, great guy, and uh, and really enjoyed that experience. Sometimes the best thing you can do is just listen to where the players want to take you because they're taking you to places they know. And same thing with the area scouts when you pop in to see them, just go where they tell you to go. Don't tell them where you want to eat. Yeah, I remember one of my favorite Guillermo memories, such a nice guy. I, I got just horribly sunburned my first spring training, and he was always just like, are you are you okay? Are you doing all right? Whereas like other players are like, ooh, we were in the lunchroom, and another guy's like, oh, that chicken is really spicy. Or Everybody's like making that. fun of you. Guillermo's <laughs> Guillermo's so to try nice, to help you very considerate, always checking in. I love Guillermo. Uh, always LV on Twitter has a question for us, and this is something I meant to get into previously. He says, Can you talk a little bit about the international prospects we signed this year? I think we got a good top-rated pitcher. Uh, He's referring to uh, right-hander Christian Cardozo. Can you tell us a little bit about him? I can tell you about two pitchers we signed, the last of which was Christian Cardozo. We the first was Jose Corniel and Jose in where both were considered among the the eight or ten best pitching prospects in this year's J two group. Cardozo was closer to one than to ten on, on many of the the lists, and usually those J two lists are dominated by shortstops and center fielders. In in fairness, um, and for good reason, they're they're super athletic players. They're sixteen years old. We got two sixteen year old pitchers that we feel like have huge upside. Corniel, when we signed him, uh, it was it was largely flying a little further under the radar based on national services, 
because when we had generally started to scout him, he had a fastball that was in the high 80s with a nice easy motion and, and pretty good spin on a breaking ball. Now that high 80s fastball is topping out at 94 at 16 years old, and he does it with an easy breaking ball and what we think are advanced strikes. And in Cardozo's case, he's also a guy who's going to bump into that 93-94 zone at 16 years old. He has the more advanced breaking ball of the two, uh, I think, in terms of now polish. You know, the Corniel has maybe the, the, the body type that scouts look for for future projection. Corniel, you don't have to guess. He already <laughs> looks like, I mean, he is about as physical as a 16-year-old gets. And and we were very excited to grab both of them. You know, they join a couple of younger pitchers in our system. Uh, we were able to sign some high school kids after the 10th round in this year's draft and, and join up with what we hope is a return from Sam Carlson next year mm-hmm. with a Juan 10 who we picked up from the, the Encarnacion deal. And with a guy who's really starting to excite us in our system, Yuri Tatis, who we signed as a 16-year-old. He's now 18. He's been recently promoted to the Arizona Summer League, tops out at 96 miles an hour, has a has a fastball that sits in the 92-94 range with a breaking ball that's really coming and I think should start showing up on prospect lists here internally as once scouts actually lay a, an eye on him. Because a lot of times you don't see the guys mm-hmm. that are throwing in the DSL every summer they're not mainstream like a Julio Rodriguez. Mm-hmm. And when they come over and they hit the States for the first time and the scouts say, wow, that's when you start seeing them. And we feel like all three of those young guys have a chance to, to, to be kind of shooters up the, up the, the food chain in, in prospect rankings. Yeah, it really seems like, I mean, Julio Rodriguez, for example, went from kind of a little bit of buzz, not a lot, almost nothing, and boom, top 50 prospect. Not, I mean, he was like 75 for like a week, it felt like, and then all of a sudden he was like the 48th best prospect. Keith Law is high on him. So many people are high on him. Do you feel like the Mariners now, by most accounts, have, it seemed crazy before the season to say that we said it, but Mariners now feel like they have a top 10 farm system. A lot of pundits say that. Fangraphs has us at eight. Uh, do you feel, though, like you've started to be able to build a little bit more depth in the farm system. With a lot of past trades, you were plucking from some of the lottery ticket type guys, guys in the low minors, moving them to the high minors or moving that talent to the majors. Do you feel like you've started to rebuild that depth with these international signings, you know, kids like that? Definitely. And and I think that has been most recently seen in some of the deals we've done with guys like Jose Caballero and like Jake Shiner, uh, like Juan Ten putting guys at different levels in your system to start creating that depth that's so important to, to competing, not just competing at those minor league levels, but competing as a major league team. It takes more than just the 25 guys you're going to line up. And, I, and I've said this before, I think on our podcast, and I know I, I talk about it every day, if you think you're going to be able to hit with three or four starting pitchers, you're crazy. You need 10 or 12. If you think you're going to be able to hit with one J.P. Crawford, you need guys in back of J.P. who line up. They're, if J.P. turns an ankle like he did at third base back in early June, you need a guy. You have to be able to fund yourself in those circumstances. And I think we're starting to build the depth, not only to be to legitimately be one of the the handful of best farm systems in the league which is a goal of ours we also want to be a consistently productive system that's pushing players to the major leagues and creates depth in back of your front end yeah because i mean as you know as well as anybody it's not just your top five prospects your top 10 prospects that become your key contributors i mean you have 
the or- Jordan Alvarez's of the world, the Fernando Tatis's of the world, guys that you would never think when they were moved were for premier elite players, but you just never know how things are going to go um, with, with, with these players. Uh, well, we've got a great homestand coming up here at T-Mobile Park. Uh, the Mariners are back in town for those listening on the podcast tomorrow, Tuesday, with the Mariners value game. Uh, grab some $15 tickets, sit up above the first baseline in the view level, Best view, probably one of the best views of any ballpark in in the country. I, I love that view. Get a look across at the skyline. Uh, and then, of course, we've got Edgar Hall of Fame celebration weekend upon us. Uh, Hall of F- Edgar Hall of Fame bobblehead night is Friday. We've got the full celebration and replica plaque giveaway on Saturday. Plan to arrive early. I'll be keeping my eye on the Twitter mentions. I don't like to see, hey, it's 620 and the line's along. I'm trying to get in for the ceremony. Uh, you and 10,000 other people are trying to do the same, so arrive early. Uh, and then finally, Sunday, Edgar Martinez Drive, Replica Street Sign Day. Jerry, where, are you gonna, where would you put a street sign, Edgar Martinez Street Sign? You got a place for it? Well, I'll, th- I'll throw it up on the credenza in, the, in, in what is now turning into like the Mini Mariners Memorabilia Hall of Fame in my office. You stack up so much stuff. I got a bunch of stuff on my desk, and then people leave. Do you ever grab anything off the lunchroom table? You see, like, I know I saw like a Freddie Garcia Tacoma Rainier's bobblehead in my first like six months here, and I was like, I cannot turn that down. It would be wrong, immoral of me to not grab that. Do you ever like grab the lunchroom stuff? Keep an eye on that. I don't, but the, mostly because I don't really pop into the lunchroom very often. I see it on the table, and I thought, and I think to myself, "Huh, he was on the cover of a magazine." <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Or going back and seeing like the the bobblehead, the 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 throwback bobbleheads that are 15 years old of guys like a Smoke or an Ackley, and at the uh, I, it, they're cool to have around for, for nuance, but there's only so much space in the office. That's true. I greatly cherish my uh, Unieski Bedford and Jose Lopez. Thank you to Mariners season ticket holders from a few years ago. I think it's signed. Highly, highly valuable, I'm sure. Well, thank you, Jerry, for joining us as always. Look forward to talking again. You got a call.